Welcome to the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for finding us on your favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple or Android. Spotify is a great place to get us. Also, you can find us on Dash Radio. Download the Dash Radio app for free. Search for Nothing But Net. We're there every day from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also find me on OnsideRadio.com. That's more than just the Miami Heat. 10 a.m. to 12 every day, OnsideRadio.com, and all of the platforms that you find five on the floor. Also, FiveReasonSports.com. That's our free South Florida sports site. Again, cover more than just the Heat there, and we do not have a paywall. Also, the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. That's why we can keep bringing you this content, including prizepicks.com. I'm on quite a run with my NBA picks on prizepicks.com. My suggestion go over, go over. I'm having a good run going over there. You can play the NBA. Of course, you can also play the NFL this weekend with the conference championship games. Use the code five F I V E. They've got a number there for what their fantasy projection is. Just say over or under, pair it with a player from any other team. You can even pair it with a player from another sport and then see if you win. So just go there, deposit 20 bucks, see how it goes. Five is the code, F-I-V-E. You'll get bonuses on your deposit. So go to prizepicks.com, the code five. And now, tonight's episode. One, two, three, four, five. On the floor. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick with Alex Toledo and Greg Sylvander, part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. Welcome back to Five on the Floor. I am your host, Greg Sylvander. No Ethan Skolnick today. Um, tonight's today's floor plan, uh, our, our kind of the purpose of this episode is to go in a different direction than what, where we normally head on this podcast. I think it's pretty narrative driven as it relates to the Miami heat. We wanted to kind of go to some X's and O's. So Ethan is not equipped to talk about that. So that's why he's not here. First off, I barely made the cut at all. Um, but we do have. My co-host Alex Toledo, who is definitely more equipped than I to talk about X's Look, if and you think, O's. If you think Ethan isn't, then I'm definitely not. Uh, I don't know about all that. Don't sell yourself short. And to compensate for all of our shortages, we have a beast in that department. Um, you know him as uh, Pun Master on Twitter. Uh, words and voice for basketball news, host of my favorite new podcast on planet Earth, which we are going to talk a lot about the dunker spot. Nikias Duncan joins us. Hello, hello. It's been a while since I've been here. Uh, glad to be, you know, glad to be able to focus on some heat basketball. This is this is home, you know. I always come back. The, the heart will grow fonder maybe when you're away, hopefully, for a little <laughs> bit. Um, although those Pistons games, I don't know if it, that's really doing it too much. Um, yeah. Ugly stuff, huh? Um, but they, at least they squeaked out the last one. Before we even touch on any Miami Heat basketball stuff, sh- put that to the side, shelf it. I want to talk about your new podcast, The Dunker Spot. Um, it uh, dropped recently. I don't know. What are you on? Three, four episodes? Um, episode three just dropped on Monday. Episode three. Yeah, that was the Kyrie Irving episode. I have to tell you, man, I it is a great podcast. Uh, your co-host, Steve Jones Jr., uh, and you really, uh, you know, breaking down the game in ways that makes me really smarter. And um, so I just, I want to divert away from Miami Heat conversation for five seconds and, and, and ask you a little bit about how that podcast came to be and just um, kind of what, can, what, what, what we can expect it to evolve into going forward. Um, I was just frustrated by NBA coverage in general. Like I felt like I felt like the coverage was shifting too far into narrative talk. Um, especially nationally, just, you know, uh, you, there are a couple of shows that come to mind. I'm sure you can guess them. I don't want to, don't need to call them out by name at this point, but uh, it's just narrative talk is fine, but it's a, but ultimately we have to focus on the basketball. Like the basketball is the most important part without that. You can't have the narratives like the free agency stuff doesn't matter if the players aren't performing on the court. Very true. So it just got to a point to where I was tired of ranting about it on Twitter and I had to do something about it. 
and you know anyone that's read my work you know from when i was with miami heat beetle when i was with five reasons or bleach for whatever my work has always been film based it's always been x's and o's based because i mean that's that's the heart of the game like what's happening on the court is where it's at so i just i guess it was just time for me to branch out a little bit um put it in a different medium spread my wings a little bit talk on purpose which is definitely different for me it's right kind of shift. <laughs> oh man yeah I, I don't envy podcast hosts man it's it's work it, yeah it's life is feeling that right now right no, I, I got big shoes to fill with ethan but no but you do a great job at it and just the x's and o's i mean the funny thing is is that when i saw the name the dunker spot yeah, uh, only because I've listened to the podcast now and connected a few dots did I recognize that that's actually like a spot on the floor that like when you discuss X's and O's, uh, there's a spot called the dunker spot. Like, <laughs> yo, I didn't know that. So like, honestly, uh, I don't know if I'm washed or the game has passed me by or whatnot, but that, that was new to me just in, in the title itself. Yeah, I felt like that was a nice play on – I mean, obviously on the court, like my last name's Duncan. So we had to have Duncan there some kind of way. And the dunker spot just kind of, it's kind of flowed naturally. So that's, that's where that came from. Um, there's a Spain pick and roll in the cover art of the pod. <laughs> like I have to stay on brand there. Fitting. But it, it, it's been fun, man. It's been a lot of fun. It's definitely work and it's different for me. Just kind of roaming out of my comfort zone, but it's been fun. Like Steve is incredible. Um, for those who don't follow him on Twitter, you should. Steve Jones 20, that's his at. But uh, Steve is a former assistant coach and also a former video coordinator in the NBA. So he, the way that he picks up on things live is incredible. Like I've been following him on Twitter for a while. It's just amazing. Like I, I feel like I'm doing okay pointing out where a play breaks down when I'm posting clips or whatever. Steve is a freaking machine, man. Yeah, no, y'all got some Bron D Wade's duo stuff going on there. So don't yeah, I was going to say, like, short. you guys have such a great chemistry already. For I was telling you before the show that you know, for a podcast, usually struggles a little bit when they first start out. So, you know, to kind of get a rhythm going. You guys just kind of went straight into it. You know, an hour and a half, two hours of show of just straight analysis, team by team, topic by topic, nuance and everything. And it's not, it doesn't drag. It really doesn't drag at all. Like there's substance throughout everything being talked about. And you guys have a natural chemistry to it. So it's like, it's, uh, I think it kind of gets the best of both worlds. And I was telling you before the show, it stands out because that type of straight, you know, X's and O's focused podcast, really, you know, covering all these teams and doing it from that type of perspective. I think it, I don't know if it exists. Maybe it does. <laughs> I think you're doing an amazing job. And I think it's, it really stands out from, from other NBA podcasts. So, so, so now that we have, um, given Nikias uh, plenty yeah. of flowers along the way here. Um, <laughs> that's the end of the show. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. No. So we wanted to kind of bring um, elements of what you do on the dunker spot, but not obviously to the level that you do them um, and, and put the lens and focus directly on the Miami Heat. Uh, through 12 games, I, I think we can all agree that there's been uneven play, but also probably a lot of um, – circumstantial stuff that you can point to that kind of would maybe mitigate some of the concerns you typically would have if the roster was full and you know you you're firing on all cylinders and and you were uh seeing these kind of results um i guess before we dive in too far um because there's a million ways we can go with this and and i'm gonna probably clumsy clumsily uh stumble my way through it turnovers like let's start here um it's been so frustrating to watch. I feel like a, a team that typically is pretty disciplined has kind of lost a lot of that. And I'm interested to hear your perspective specifically about turnovers. And if that is even anything that the coaching staff and that they can do maybe from play from a play calling perspective, can they limit turnovers by that? Or is this literally like straight up on the players to not make so many damn mistakes? Uh, you have to throw out the very obvious caveats. Um, there was a very, very, very small preseason period, a limited training camp. You know, the Heat and the Lakers had the shortest off seasons in the league. So there is a natural, there's a natural period there to where they have to kind of get acclimated with each other. You throw in COVID with guys in and out of the lineups, then it gets weird there. Um, the Tyler Hero at point guard experiment, 
you know, that also adds to it. Like he's not in his natural role and now he's been out. So now we've seen a lot of Gabe Vincent and stuff. So that's been weird. So aside from that, which is, I mean, that's a lot, but uh, I, if you're just asking me if it's coaching versus the players, I would still lean towards it being the players. Like the culprit, I mean, the primary culprit, I would say, in terms of just, you know, if you're trying to kill the low-hanging fruit, like Bam has to be a lot better. Bam is a fantastic passer for a big man. Um, the way he operates in the high post, just op- it just opens up the offense for Miami. Um, you you know what he can do as the handoff man working with Duncan Robinson or with Tyler Hero. You know what he does operating, you know, quick pitch to Goran Drogic to the top of the key and it's a pick and roll and they get downhill. But Bam... I would say Bam is a very good passer. I don't know. He's no Jokic. Bam is a, yeah, he's no Jokic. Like, Bam is a great passer. I don't know if I would call him a great playmaker from the five yet. Because once you're talking passing versus playmaking, the playmaking, you have to factor in decision-making. And I think that's where Bam has struggled this year. And we saw hints of that last year as well. Yeah, it's, it's to like where, the growing pains now, right? Yeah, it's the growing pains. Like, I don't think I don't have any long-term concerns with Bam in that regard. But there are a lot of times where they throw it to him in the high post, you have your cuts or whatever, and he's trying to thread the needle between six arms. And it's, it's a bounce pass that has a 3% chance of getting there. And if it does get there, the guy catching the ball is surrounded by body. So it's not even like he's creating a good shot with the pass. So curbing those, I think, is – I think that's priority number one for Bam. Um, so that kind of stuff's cut out. But other than that – they just have to establish a rhythm. I think more Goran Dragic is going to help. I think Tyler Hero coming back and getting more comfortable with the lead ball handle reps, that's going to help as well. Again, Bam kind of cuts out some of those passes that he's forcing. It just kind of takes the easy stuff. Like, don't go for the home run pass all the time. Singles are okay. Build on it. Make the basic pass. Have the defense rotate. And then Miami, I mean, they're always up there and creating catch-and-shoot opportunities. Like that's been a very constant staple big three era with Dwayne before the big three era after Dwayne, the heat generate catch and shoot opportunities. So just get your singles, bend the defense that way, trust your guys to make the extra pass, which they do more often than not. And you kind of curb those turnovers. Um, That was kind of the dirty little secret of Miami last year. They were ninth in offensive rating and they were, I think, first or second in true shooting percentage. But the reason why the offensive rating was lower was because they were turning the ball over more than just about anyone in the league. Yep. And that's, that's kind of carried up. I was I was just about to, to, to piggyback off what you're saying there. I, I was looking it up as you were talking just to make sure I had it right. The Heat were 22nd last year in turnover percentage. So it, it was a struggle. But, you know, the problem is they've been overwhelmingly <laughs> the worst this season. So it's – I agree with you. I've been saying that it's been on BAM as far as, uh, you know, who's – who's been doing a little bit more than they're supposed to, but it's on the whole team really. And, and do you think this is something that is just going to play out and they're going to get more comfortable with each other, or is it just going to be something that's going to be an ongoing issue? Cause they're not going to be able to develop continuity with so many guys being in and out of the lineup. I think there's kind of like the, that's the positive negative versus negative. Look at it. And uh, if you had to pick a side on that, where would you stand? Like, do you think it's, it's going to be something that has to do more with acquisition or is it going to be something you fix internally? Uh, I think it's put a bandaid on. Yeah, I think you just kind of fix it internally. Like, you know who your primary ball handler is going to be. When everyone's healthy, Bam's going to have a lot of touches. Jimmy's going to have a lot of touches. Goran's going to have a lot of touches. Tyler's going to have a lot of touches. So, those are your four guys. And, like, all four of those guys are smart players. So, you just kind of have to trust them to make better decisions as they get comfortable, as they build more chemistry with one another. Um, particularly like Tyler, he's a starter now. So just getting him used to having more reps, the the increased defensive pressure that he's facing, that's just going to come with time and reps. So I I think that's just one of the things you just have to monitor as the season goes on. I don't think you make a trade to fix the turnover issue. Like you just have to trust that your young guys are going to get smarter and continue to develop. Speaking of young guys developing, uh, a name that has came up on the Dunker Spot podcast multiple times is uh, Casey Akpala. And um, you, you took a victory lap uh, recently because of how well he played in, uh, in, in the loss to Detroit. 
And then the weirdest thing kind of happened that truthfully, um, when we were preparing for the show tonight, I, I, I realized that I never really reconciled what the heck happened. Like he played three minutes, if I remember correctly, maybe four mm -hmm. minutes and then got pulled and that was it. And, um, I, I actually texted a buddy of mine and said like, did he get hurt? Like, was there something I didn't hear? Was there something like, and I heard, I got nothing crickets. So it's like, I was, I'm oh, interested was one. Cause I know that, that you want to see KZ flourish in that role. Um, yes. and, and, and you definitely have more victory laps to come there. Cause I hope KZ can develop into that as well. But I'm interested from your point of view, what you saw that led to him kind of just getting the, uh, the rug pulled out from him, you know, for the rest of the entire game? Uh, I mean, the best way to describe it would just be young player stuff. I don't think, I don't think it was anything to completely bench him for. Like he, I mean, this is the second Detroit matchup. Like he's had solid reps against Jeremy Grant. He's had some not so solid reps against Jeremy Grant. Um, you know, it's, for a guy like him, it's easy for him to kind of overplay, you know, try to make plays off the ball to kind of get burned that way. And for a team like Miami that has kind of struggled with their offense, they need the defense to be airtight. So maybe those are the kind of mistakes that Spoh is trying to drill in him. Like, hey, you can't do this if you want to earn consistent playing time. And maybe that's what it is. Um, it was a little bit concerning. Uh, I'm glad that Mo Harkless was able to come in and perform relatively well the bar was kind of the floor for him, but he did perform well. So it obviously didn't hurt Miami in the long run. They ended up winning that game. But I don't know. The leash with KZ is just kind of weird. It's been very odd, to say the least. Yeah, for just even the leash to get him onto the court. Like, never mind the leash once he's on the court. Like, it, it has been a weird experience with him. And I, I really think he's kind of tailor-made to fill the hole that that they have there. Yeah. And um, I, I just, I'm, I was just surprised to see that they didn't go back to him at all. Cause while Harkless did, uh, he was much more active. He looked like a guy who could recognize that he could get cut uh, out of nowhere. Uh, the way that his energy was up and activity, but he didn't necessarily produce to the point where you don't go back to KZ at all. So that just kind of, I was taken aback by it. I think really KZ would have been a, a nice like ninth or 10th guy to really try to fit in that role that, that we want, you know, get him 15 minutes a game to see if he can do it, get him a night, get him a sample of him doing it. And I understand like there's no continuity right now. So it's hard to get a real sample of him playing with what the team is supposed to look like, but the guy has to get some confidence out there. And you already know he's more, he's more of a willing shooter than what Mo Harkless is. He's a, he's, he's a better offensive player than what Mo Harkless is already. And that obviously like the guy said, the bar is the floor. But mm -hmm. that's exactly why I think you should try him out. Because maybe, you know, maybe it doesn't pan out. Maybe he's not going to be somebody you trust to, uh, to play as your 10th man on a team that has finals. But, like, how do you know? <laughs> and I think that's kind of what we're all agreeing to here. Yeah, I just, I just want him to get a – obviously, COVID and injury aside, like, I just want him to get a 10-game stretch to where you know you're playing 15 minutes. And if you're playing well, that 15 turns in 20 but is never going to drop below 15. He needs that consistent run because he, I mean, he has to find himself on both ends. Like we know on the high end, he is a guy that can just kind of fly around everywhere at the edge of his zone, or if he's just kind of operating as that back line helper, can get into the passing lanes and get a weak side block. We know what kind of activity he can, he can produce on the defensive end. Offensively, we've seen the flashes in two ways. We've seen him knock down a bunch of threes We've also seen him attack bent defenses and use his length to finish at the rim. He's not going to put both of those things together unless he gets consistent burn and he's able to build confidence. Now, obviously, I'm not privy to what he looks like in practice. I don't think any of us are. So Spo knows more than we do. I mean, that's that's kind of a given. But you know, just the bird's eye view of it, I, I wish he would get consistent playing time so we would have a better gauge of what he is, where he is, where he needs to improve, how far he is from being, you know, a seventh or eighth man instead of just kind of be like your spot rotation guy during the regular season. Sorry, <laughs> Mike was muted there. Uh, so Nikias wanted to ask, we can kind of piggyback off of this point over here. So we're talking about KZ and Mo Harkless. I think this has kind of been, uh, you know, an issue throughout the whole season. It's one that's been talked about amongst fans, podcasts alike. 
the four, the starting four situation, the, the, the four rotation in general, the power rotation as a topic because of the rebounding. What is your take on this? Is this a thing that, again, kind of what I asked about the guards, is this something that's going to be fixed internally what they have? I think kind of the general consensus among media and fans alike has been they should probably acquire another four. Uh, my stance has been that, yeah, I would like to see them, you know, trade for that type of guy. I think it would be nice to ideally consolidate some of the players we don't like for four we do like, just like everybody else. I, I would like to do that for sure. <laughs> you know, who wouldn't like, wouldn't love a, you know, Victor Oladipo and PJ Tucker for, you know, first round pick and Kendrick Dunn and Mo Harkless. Like, I, yeah, I'm all in. But uh, what do you think is the real, like, if, if you're in the Heat situation here, do you trust that, you know, because they brought in Precious, because they brought in Avery Bradley, you still have Andre, you have technically, when they're healthy, more good defensive players in the rotation than they did last year. So do you just hope that the, the you know, getting continuity with what they have is the move? Or do you try to sacrifice something you maybe don't want to to make a win-now move for somebody who may not even be, you know, that great of an upgrade? Because I tend to think, you know, Jay Crowder was a loss, but I think that the loss has been a little bit overstated. And so I, I feel like I'm asking multiple questions here, but would you acquire for, and is that a, a, an extremely pressing situation? Um, I think it's a little bit of everything, right? Like it just kind of circles back to giving your young guys reps. I think the Heat need to exhaust their options on the current roster first. This is why you need to give KZ a 10-game stretch or a 15-game stretch or whatever. See what he can do at the four. Great point. You like Kelly Olynyk has mostly been fine at the four, but you know what his limitations are on the defensive end. Like that pigeonholes you into a drop scheme, and teams. He's not going to be a closer. Him. He's not going to be a closer. So you use the regular season as a way to see what you have and to try new things. So this is why you give you know you give Mo Harkless the first, give him the first um, first shot. Because you know he's normally a three. Play him at the four. See if you can up to get an uptick with the volume. See if the shot improves. See if you get that kind of Jay Crowder boost that you got last year. Sure. Maybe not to that. Maybe you know. Maybe not to that degree. But <laughs> see if he shoots above his head at the four. If that doesn't work, give Casey Paul to run. If that doesn't work, then you then you hit the trade market. I mean, we've even seen Andre Iguodala at the four, which is not a thing that I've loved. Um, just to to be not ideal. Yeah, not 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 ideal to have Andre dollars before. But you know, exhaust your options, and then from there you look at the market. Like, see what see what's going on in Chicago with Thaddeus Young because he's not long there. Monitor the thing in Houston. Auto Porter. See, yeah, see what Auto Porter's up to. See what's going on in Houston. Is PJ Tucker is available? I mean, that is your that's your ideal for next to Bam, a guy that's going to hang in the corners, knock down corner threes at a high clip. That allows Bam to stay above the break and kind of operate as your dribble handoff hub. Defensively, P.J. Tucker is probably better defending fours than fives at this point just because the man is 35 years old and he's been punching above his weight his entire NBA career. Like, he, it would probably be a, you know, breath of fresh air if he's defending fours instead of fives. Right, yeah. So, like, um, yeah. Speaking of all these options, before we go into any more of them, uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're, we're going to rapid fire some of these options because I really wanted to actually pick your brain on who you think is the prototypical player next to Bam. So we're going to talk a lot, about, a lot more about that after the break. We'll get back to our episode here in a second. I first want to tell you about one of our most important sponsors. We've talked about them a lot, but now they've got new offerings. And as you know, COVID-19 is not gone. So you've got to make your environment, whether it's your school, you want to tell your administrator, whether it might be your business, maybe you are the boss, maybe you want to tell the boss, or whether it's a residence, you want to make the place safe. So you got to check out safecubbies.com. They've got custom sneeze guards and shields, and also they stock sneeze guards and shields. They do office partitions. Again, they work with restaurants, businesses, schools, and more. They do floor decals for the social distancing. They do the PPE and COVID signage. They also can put in the touch-free sanitizer stands with or without the branding, and they do branded face masks as well. And Safe Cubbies will come out and perform a safe sur a site survey to provide a free estimate for you. And, of course, they will do the installation. So reach out to them. Mention five reasons. We've had many, many people who followed us. They've gone to them. They've been very, very satisfied. So check out safecubbies.com for all 
of your safety needs during the pandemic. Welcome back. So we are here with Nikias Duncan. Alex Toledo joins me, um, and we are going to uh, continue talking about the four spot, the ever important fit next to Bam Adebayo, and the, and the different types of players that maybe would be the ideal fit. I think what Jay Crowder showed in the bubble and during the playoff run, in, in you know, in particular, was maybe. Would you guys say that's like the prototypical? fit next to bam maybe a little bit bigger of a player somebody that i, I guess in, in retrospect yeah a, a little maybe bit taller the, maybe the bucks version the, the the one that went up against the bucks and not the yeah know, yeah yeah the it's one who very, shot 45 percent from three very from contingent like upon times. that three-point percentage yes yes um i'm interested to hear about um for instance this is a, a name you lobbed on the timeline and there was a lot of back and forth about like what it would take to acquire him but i want to talk about like aaron gordon for instance you think that that's the perfect fit next to bam i, I felt like you were leaning in that direction oh uh, like as you said it's going to be contingent on the three-point shot and i don't think aaron gordon is a great shooter however having those two guys being able to switch out onto virtually anyone and both of those guys can grab a defensive rebound and push the break. Like Aaron Gordon is very quietly a very good passer on the move and, you know, operating as like a dribble handoff guy or a high post guy. Fits the timeline with Bam. I think Aaron Gordon's, what, 25, 26. Like, I feel like that would be a fantastic long-term get for Miami if they could snag him. The issue is it would definitely cost you something. It would definitely cost you some draft capital. And the Heat don't have a lot of that. And Orlando would definitely want one of the young pieces. Like, Tyler, you're not going to put Tyler here on the trade for Aaron Gordon. You're just not. Duncan Robinson is a thing that you probably shouldn't do. But I think that's where Orlando starts talks. And if, yeah. you're, able to, and if you're able to get them off of Duncan Robinson as well, then you're looking at, I guess, none plus Akpala plus picks and then whatever the salary filler is. And that sounds like a lot, but if that's the price for a guy like Aaron Gordon, you get him this year, you get him next year, and I think another year before he has to get the contract extension and he's still in his prime, theoretically, that's a discussion at least because I do think Aaron Gordon is really freaking good. And if you're able to trade for Aaron Gordon without giving up your two best shooters – it's going to be the most spread floor Aaron Gordon has ever played for. And I don't think enough people account for the situation that he's been in in Orlando. Like yeah. Nikola Vucevic becoming a legit stretch five option has helped immensely, but the spacing around those two still hasn't been great. Yeah, he's essentially the best shooter of them all. Yeah, it's, yeah like if Vuce is your best, Vuce being a good shooter is a positive for your offense. Vuce being your best shooter is a problem for your roster. And that, that's just kind of where it is. So if you're just looking at a theoretical lineup of insert point guard here, or if you want to go with Tyler Hero at point, if it's Hero, Robinson, Butler, Gordon, and Bam, that's a lot of weaponry right there. Yeah. Like you, get, you get the movement shooting with Duncan Robinson. You get the pick and roll chops with, with uh, Tyler Hero. Like Jimmy uh, Butler. defense Kenton. balance. There you go. Like, Aaron Gordon covers up a lot of holes for you. Bam covers up a lot of holes for you. Jimmy Butler can cover up a lot of holes for you. So, it's a. I think that's a great play for Miami to make if they can do it within reason. So, I think that's interesting because I wasn't sure about the Gordon fit, and you being so confident about it makes me more confident that that's actually a good option just because uh, the shooting thing. So, uh, this is kind of not what I was going to ask, but just a, as a quick question, uh, do you feel good about him as a catch-and-shoot guy, just to piggyback off that? Uh, I'm a little iffy on him. Like, he's probably in the Jay Crowder mold to where he's a, willing, like he's a willing shooter and he's okay. Teams are going to be okay with letting him fire. I don't think he will run. I don't think he will rev as high as Jay Crowder does on the variant scale. And I also don't think he'll get as low as Crowder does. But he'll be doing more on offense than Crowder did because of the other stuff he brings to the table. Yeah, like the ball skills, the passing ability. Yeah, He's obviously one of the most explosive athletes in the league. So, I, I mean, just, just imagining the high low.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply chemistry him and Bam can develop would be fantastic. And again, either one of those guys can grab a defense rebound and push. And if you're getting a drag screen from Duncan Robinson or a drag screen from Tyler Hero and you get Aaron Gordon or Bam going downhill, that's going to be kind of tough for defenses to deal with in transition. So I, I think the fit is there. It's just trying to cobble up a deal that makes sense is where it gets, becomes difficult. So, um, what I wanted to ask you about here is something that kind of every, I think uh, a lot of fans is kind of the pipe dream now, because I think we've all talked about point of attack defense being a problem and just, you know, general offense defense balance in the rotation, whether it's, you know, the point of attack defense or amongst the fours, like we've been talking about. And so everybody's kind of seen what happened, you know, with the James Harden trade and everything that happened with Levert, a cost controlled young guy getting traded for an older dude not older, but who's older than him by a couple of years and is going to be, a, uh, you know, a lot more expensive once he's a free agent than Victor Oladipo. And so that stands to reason that the Rockets might try to flip him. And then you kind of can point to something happening uh, with P.J. Tucker, too, because they haven't agreed on an extension. It doesn't seem like it's going well there. We know how cheap their owner is. You know, it seems like everybody's like, well, if they think that they're going to lose him for nothing, why not try to flip him? And why can't he pounce on that? And so I think that's a really ideal, you know, kind of combo. Like, well, you plug in these two guys, you got two-way players who who fit a win-now team and who probably would want to be here. And, I, I mean, the thing then becomes, <laughs> what do you have to give up, right? And I think Heat fans might not want to give up a Tyler Hero for a Victor Oladipo. I probably wouldn't want to do that either. Uh, Duncan Robinson, I don't think I would want to give him up either. Like, I, I think I would want to keep him. I really would. And it's like, well, do you just try to leverage them for, you know, the fact that they're both going to be free agents? So you're like, well, you know, take a pick, take a pick swap, take KZ, take none, take some salary filler. And that's our offer. Like, do, would you try to do pull off something like that? Yeah, like, I, I just don't see Oladipo as – I don't see Oladipo as an in-season option now. Um, over the offseason, I wrote about potential Victor Oladipo trades, and I mentioned Miami, but I did so before the draft because this was Depot coming off, you know, entering the last year of his deal and all the rumblings happening there in Indiana. But he's also coming off of that bubble run where he did not look great. So I think that would have been the time for Miami to pounce if they want to do so. Now we've seen Depot, the pull-up shot has kind of been hit or miss, but he looks like 90% of himself as an athlete now, he's getting downhill. He's making good passes. He's defending at a relatively high level. He's averaging 20 points a night. So I don't think you can get him without giving up one of Hero or Robinson. And if you don't want to do that because of the shooting, then I think you just kind of have to bank on Depot wanting to be here and making that signing in the offseason, if that's what it comes down to. Yeah, because they'll PJ, have to – Go ahead. No, go I, was, ahead. I was just going to say, P.J. Tucker is something entirely different because the salaries just aren't the same. P.J. Tucker is also expiring. He's much older. I don't think it would cost – it definitely wouldn't cost you here or Robinson to get P.J. Tucker, I don't think. So I think that's more attainable, and that also fits a more pressing need because Miami needs some kind of um, some kind of stability at the four. You, you mentioned Duncan Robinson. Um, you know, they're essentially going to have to pay him with Joe Harris, Scott, or more. Um, so let's say 20 million. I'm interested to hear from you. Would you rather max John Collins or would you rather give Duncan Robinson $21 million a year on a four-year deal? Ooh. Well, first I want to push back a little bit. I don't think Duncan Robinson is going to warrant the money that Joe Harris will. Really? Oh, I do not. I, I think Joe Harris is a better player. All around, for sure. But you don't think the historic shooting season stuff back-to-back is going to, like, make someone get, uh, you know, like, fall in love and, and drive the price up? I don't know. That's just how it was uh, – that's how I've operated. Same here. Yeah, I mean, there's – I feel like I would buy the argument more if Duncan was restricted. 
Um, I, I'm not going to say I don't see the market for him because, I mean, the calling card is very clear. Like, he is one of the best movement shooters on planet Earth, and he's, he's coming off of the best catch-and-shoot season in, like, tracking data history. So, like, I get the appeal. I do think once you factor in the everything else is where I think his price point is going to probably fall a little bit below Harris's. He's still going to get paid. Yeah, like I, like I think he's going to be between the fifteen and eighteen million dollar range, more so than the twenty. But uh, to answer your question, uh, man, because you know where I'm heading. Would you trade Duncan Robinson to acquire John Collins? Yeah, that's because Bam is the kind of big you can put alongside John Collins. Mm, you know, I would probably rather have Collins. Wow. Playfully got it out of him. Yes. I think I, I, I think Made you Col- think hard on that one. <laughs> you did like <laughs> John Collins is a better basketball player, is kind of where I ended up coming For up. For sure. With. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. So but but I'm missing something here. So wouldn't you think Collins would be significantly cheaper than Duncan Robinson? Uh, no, we're talking about it for I know the, the the fit thing I understand that but as far as why are we trading why I know they both have kind of like they're both going to be free agents soon but are we doing that for financial reasons as well? Oh no, you'd you'd have to play, pay the max to John Collins at some point I think or close to it anyway. Uh, I, I'm just hypotheticals, just hypotheticals. Yeah, if it's like if it's like four for seventy for Duncan Robinson or four for 105 or something for John Collins. Like, Collins is younger and better. And Would he be just, more impactful than Duncan Robinson on this heat team? That's, that's, that's what I'm struggling with. Because I think the skill that Duncan Robinson provides, like Tyler Hero is a high-level shooter in a vacuum, but he doesn't do it in the way that Duncan Robinson does. Yeah. He doesn't strike he the want same fear. Yeah. Uh, okay, but Nagayas, I had a qu- Oh, wait, no. Did you even finish with your answer here? I'm, I don't mean I'm to interrupt. He's stumped. We, we, we left him speechless. I am torn on this. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could write about it. I might, I might need to write about this. I might, <laughs> <laughs> like, this is... Well, this man, actually... Okay, well, this actually connects to what I was going to ask because the rebounding thing, that's kind of been another problem that I think everybody's talked about. And it, it connects to what we were talking about with fours and acquisitions and all that. And I don't want this to be just a trade podcast or anything like that. I just think it's kind of something that's been on a lot of fans' minds because the team is under 500 right now. I tend, I really want to see – I want to get a sample of this team healthy. I just think, you know, they're an acquisition away or whatever. But the rebounding thing. Uh, so we already talked about the turnovers and how they differ from last year. The rebounding, you know, they were – they had a – a top five rebound percentage last year and this year it's in the bottom 10 and the real difference is the defensive rebounds you know they were really good at it last year they're not this year is it just about you know Myers not starting do you think that's something that's going to be an issue as a playoff team uh and you know how do you feel about that in general like is that one of their biggest problems is that one of their biggest limitations um it's definitely an issue um, it's something that isn't entirely surprising. Um, as you mentioned, like Myers Leonard is not starting and Myers was huge literally, but also figuratively for what he did as a guy that could box out and kind of keep those opposing centers off the glass. And that helps Bam swoop in and grab boards. That helps the other guards swoop in and grab boards Tyler, as well. Yeah. So the heat starting Bam at the five off rip, Bam is a good rebounder in his own right. The issue is that Bam at the five with like a Mo Harkins at the four means that the Heat are going to switch. And one of the pet peeves I have with Bam, this is something I touched on the pod, is that Bam switches out a little too willingly. If he sees a screen, he's switching without even waiting for the screen to make contact. Like he just wants to stay in front. And Bam can hold his own on the perimeter. We all know that. But then when the shot goes up, it's the small guards trying to box out centers. And, you know, instead of Myers Leonard at seven foot being the, being the front court partner there, now you're asking, you know, Tyler Hero 
Mo Harkless, who has never been a good rebounder, ever. Like, it's just a bunch of small guys up front trying to clean up the mess since Bam's out on the perimeter, and that is a problem. Yes. No, and that that's it's a really good point that you bring up that I had it hadn't really dawned on me that that kind of Bam's willingness to uh to switch everything and and live with those consequences actually has, you know, consequences in other ways. Um Alex is texting me that he has one more question. So despite <laughs> Ethan telling us we need to do shorter <laughs> podcasts, we're we are sneaking this one in because we got Nakai's on deck here so Ethan is not here all right no no, no. <laughs> no but I just I'm just I, I love talking with Nakaya's here you know for everything we talked about in the beginning you know the X's and O's stuff and I just kind of wanted to connect all of this and circle back and do this kind of in a general thing about the heat compared to them I mean compared to them Jesus compare them to what they were last season do you think of this team as a serious contender to get back to the finals. Like, I think we're all kind of, or at least I'm speaking for myself here. I think like they could get back to the finals. They can compete with any team. Obviously the Harden thing makes things different. The Nets, have, they're in the way now. But as far as the teams they beat along the way, the teams that are already there, I still feel good about them. I think they're clearly not there yet. Like they, they need continuity with the team back healthy to see what they really look like. I think we all agree there may be an acquisition of a way for being a kind of a cleaner two-way team. There's some things they can fix. But everything together, whether they make a trade or not, let's say they, you know, the likely thing is uh, it's a trade on the margins. It's not going to be a big name. How do you feel about this team as a contender? Do you think they can match up with Brooklyn? How do you think uh, the Bucks have a, a much better chance of beating them now? The Celtics, how do you feel about the Heat standing in the East? And what are the biggest issues towards their return to the finals on an X's and O's perspective? Okay. Um, you know, just to, just to, <laughs> just to be transparent, um, like right before the regular season started, I did my season prediction piece. Um, I did have Miami losing in the second round this year. So them not making the finals would not be a disappointment to me because my expectation level is just kind of second round. Like I felt like this was a year for Milwaukee or Boston. And now you add James Harden to the mix with Brooklyn. That's another team that's in that upper tier when everyone's healthy. Um, there's I've, there's still a path for Miami. Like, I do think they are a move away. They need to solidify the four. Um, whether that's P.J. Tucker, whether it's a guy like that, he's young, or another guy on the margins that, you know, that isn't coming to mind right now. If they could get some sort of firm answer at the four to where they can be a switchable team in the playoffs, then that makes me feel a lot better about them. Um, just looking at the roster, they can match up with anyone. Um, you know, they have, they have the point of attack guy in, like, even with Brooklyn, like, they have the point of attack guy to Avery Bradley. They have Jimmy Butler. They still have Bam. So they have three guys to throw at Brooklyn's three guys. You just worry about the others at that point. Yep. Like you, you know, you worry about a Tyler Hero trying to track Joe Harris or something like that. Um, if the Nets start DeAndre Jordan in that series – then maybe it's Bam on DJ and providing help elsewhere, and then you have a sacrificial lamb at the four to defend Kevin Durant, which oh, is former team. Think about that. I mean, his former team talk about that? <laughs> but I mean, so that's what Andre's here for, baby. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Use the quick hand, strip him. But uh, the Heat can still match up relatively well with other teams. I think they're a move away from it being a toss-up series. Like as of today, I would say. You know, I would pick Brooklyn in a series against Miami today. I would pick Milwaukee in a series against Miami today. I would pick Boston in a series against Miami today. Oh, anyone man. else? Anyone else? <laughs> uh, that that's probably where I'm at right now. Okay. Um, Just as I, long as you didn't say Philadelphia, we weren't going to close here immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that's where no. we draw the line. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Philly's the line, but. Yeah, like right now, I would take those three teams in the series over Miami. Like Miami would have a path, but it would still be more likely that those other teams win. Miami swings a deal for a four. Now we're talking. This is a toss-up, or Miami is favored against a Boston or a Boston or a Milwaukee. You know, it still gets tough with Brooklyn just because of the firepower that they have. Like you would need a huge BAM series on both ends. But I, I think that's just kind of where I come down with Miami right now. They're a move away from being firmly in that top tier. They're just they're kind of in that if things break right type tier instead of being firm contenders, no doubt about it. 
and, and they've been in that tier before. And let's hope that they remain one move away and then make that move because that makes for good podcast content and we need a lot yes. of that. So just we will take bubble. every bit of the heat trade machine stuff. Uh, thank you for joining us, Nikias. We appreciate your time. You can find him at Nikias MBA, um, basketballnews.com, writing the Dunker Spot podcast, wherever the heck you find your podcast, you can find that one. And I encourage you to find it. Thank you for joining us. And um, that's it. All right, now for the second part of our episode here on Five on the Floor. I had a chance to speak to one of our sponsors, Eric Brown, for our weekly value plays segment. You can follow him at fivereasonsrealtor.com. Welcome back to Five on the Floor and the Five Reasons Sports Network. And now it's time for our segment that we call Value Plays. We do this with our friend Eric Brown, who also happens to be a sponsor of the network. You can find him at fivereasonsrealtor.com. Spell it out, F-I-V-E, reasonsrealtor.com. More on that in a second. We've got three major topics we want to get to here with Eric. Let's start with the announcement uh, this week that the Heat would be allowing some fans, some season ticket holders on a limited basis back into the arena. It seems sort of like a little bit of a trial, but it's going to be later on this month. Um, you had some thoughts on this and, and kind of how this might have come to be. What would those be? Well, the, the headline is uh, the Heat made this decision. And this is something that, um, as you know, Ethan, I mentioned to you over a week ago that I saw coming, maybe not so quickly, but uh, I thought inevitably that at least for the playoffs and maybe before that there are so many people in Dade County that have been infected by the COVID virus that we're starting to reach the point where some herd immunity uh, is, uh, has, has come into play. Uh, as you probably know, <laughs> Los Angeles County right now seems to be the place where you can't look at any kind of news coverage of COVID and not see how bad the infections are there. And that's the hospitals are all full. And that's the headline. Los Angeles has had 10,111 per 100,000 people affected. Dade County has 12,670 people per 100,000 people infected. Uh, put another way, we've had 25% more infections uh, per capita in Dade County than Los Angeles County has had. That's because our, uh, our infections you know, go back to March and we've had such a bad run here in Dade County that we're, we, the numbers are really sky high. According to uh, Dr. Lena Wen, who has appeared on CNN, she was, used to be the uh, health commissioner in Baltimore County, she says you achieve herd immunity between 60 and 80%. We've heard Dr. Fauci use similar numbers, uh, but a little higher. Uh, Come playoff time, uh, by calculations that I have looked at and seen on the internet in various places, we'll have the equivalent of uh, 65 to 70% of the population either infected or uh, given vaccinations uh, by that time. Right now we have 300, by the end of this month, what's well, 375,000 people in Dade County that'll have had uh, a COVID infection and about 200,000 vaccines given. By that, with those numbers, uh, that extrapolates to about uh, close to 45 or 50% of the population has some level of immunity. So I guess you can see, you know, with those numbers that we're really re reaching a point where the virus it has to start to slow down. It's There's just not an inexhaustible supply of people. So barring any kind of uh, major mutation of the virus, uh, it looks like we're reaching the end. I just want to say I'm not a healthcare professional. <laughs> I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an uh, epidemiologist. So I'm just someone that looks at all the numbers and on the internet, they're available to everyone and reads all the articles. And these are you know, the conclusions that I've reached and things that I've, I've read and seen. Yeah. And again, I was I, I know you and I had discussed it. I, I was a little surprised by the announcement only because it came right after 
the Heat had to deal with COVID directly. And of course, we know that, you know, a bunch of players were out for contact tracing. And, and as, as we record this, uh, Butler and Bradley are still out. And so I was a little surprised about the announcement, but the way you're talking about it in sort of the bigger picture makes sense. All right, let's get to the basketball here. Um, you had a thought, and, and this includes one of the players on the Heat, who has gone off to a strong start statistically. Of course, the team hasn't performed uh, quite the way that uh, people would have hoped, uh, but Bam out of bio, but you're tying him to two other players around the league. Yeah, I was uh, looking at uh, Ben Simmons and Draymond Green as sort of comparables uh, to Bam out of bio. Uh, comparable in the way that they are, max or in the category of max type salaries, but they're not the typical max player in that they are not uh, big scorers. And according to uh, uh, Zach Lowe and, and I guess others, the feeling is that the formula to uh, put together a championship contender is that you need to have at least two really high level scores uh, on your team. And then you kind of build around it. That's the model that the Lakers have, for instance. Uh, if you look at their salary structure, uh, you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, and then uh, Schroeder, who they just added. He, he's the next top salary. They're 15 million. Um, they were successful. However, and also when you look at what happened with Golden State, when, when they won their championship, they had Draymond and two other scorers and and uh, and Clay and and, and Curry. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers have a similar type specialty player and he makes big money but doesn't score in Ben Simmons. They have Joel Embiid, who is a, a primetime scorer, uh, but they gave their money <laughs> to uh, Tobias Harris. They're not going to win a championship with Tobias Harris um, making that kind of money because they don't have any money to spend on anyone else. So when the Heat go out and they look for maybe you know, acquiring somebody like a Bradley, they need to acquire somebody like a Bradley Beal, they got to be very careful with who they spend that uh, second, that, that, that go for for that second top salary because they're not going to have any money for anybody else uh, to, to provide scoring because they've given it to Bam. And I'm not, that's not to say, don't misunderstand, that's not to say that Bam's not worth the money. Bam is, is definitely a, a, a max a caliber player. But because he doesn't provide scoring, you only have so much money that you can spend for scoring. So you better make sure that the next guy you go out and acquire can give you that kind of scoring punch. And that was one of the arguments that people made against me about going out and getting James Harden because the idea was you needed a bucket getter there. I guess the Heat's hope if they don't make the major splash move for a guy like Beal is that maybe Hero becomes that, uh, but he's got a long way to go to get to there. All right, let's get to another part. This is kind of a subset of this value place uh, segment. This is a new segment that we're calling positive, neutral, negative value. Uh, we're going to do these rapid fire a little bit. Um, the move of James Harden to the Nets, which we've discussed kind of ad nauseum, but of course the next domino to fall perhaps could be Bradley Beal. How do you look at this from a positive, neutral, negative perspective, from a value perspective in terms of the Heat's pursuit of, v of Beal? Well, that's my question for you, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, what I, you I, think about well, I will say this. I mean, people don't understand my view on this, that I was more willing to go all in on Beal than I was on Harden. Uh, and the reason for that was well, a few reasons. One, it's an age factor. You're talking about a four year difference uh, Two, it's a fit factor. And I'm not talking about Harden taking off whatever the compression stuff he had on or whatever it was uh, that that uh, that made him look 50 pounds heavier for some reason when he was in Houston than in Brooklyn. I'm just talking about fit in terms of personality type uh, and, and everything else that's related to it. I'm more of a Beal guy than a Harden guy. Uh, with that being said, I think when you look at the value perspective here, I do think that it, because Harden's no longer on the table, not that anybody expected him to be on the table six weeks ago, but because he's no longer on the table, I do think that it puts pressure on the Heat perhaps to maybe throw in more for Beal because as you and I have discussed at the time, you're talking about, you know, we, you have a diminished supply here in terms of guys who can get you 30. Um, and Beal is one of those guys in the league who's obviously he's averaged that. So I actually think it's negative for the Heat in a sense that, you know, Harden's now off the table to a rival because I do think it's going to require 
the heat to ante up more for Beal than maybe they would have wanted to. I, I totally agree with, uh, with that. Philadelphia comes to mind uh, immediately because uh, that I think Ben Simmons is now in play without question and that they would be definitely uh, a contender to go after uh, Bradley Beal because he would be a much better fit uh, for them than Ben Simmons is right now. I'm with you on that one. All right, let's get to the next uh, one. Obviously, uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was going. I I wanted to ask you kind of mm -hmm. about some old business yes. with regard to positive, negative, or neutral value. We discussed the fact, and you have on the pod many times that the Heat, being such a was being such a buttoned-up organization and so disciplined, was very very uh, well prepared to go into the bubble. What I wanted to ask was. Was it uh, positive, negative, or neutral value to provide Goran Dragic uh, that extended rest before the, uh, the Heat entered the bubble? Oh, I think it was. I don't think there's any question. And, and I think that's one of the reasons we saw Goran's legs so fresh. I, I also think that's why I've been a bit surprised with the way Goran's come out of the gate here this, uh, this season because he did not have an extended rest. Although... Honestly, in some ways, the foot injury may have been a blessing in disguise because he stayed off his feet for a little bit longer before he came back. And then, of course, he comes back and then they had the contact tracing issue. And so he basically missed a week of play. So I do think there have been a kind of enough for at least for Goron enough breaks. I know the next guy you're going to ask me about is Jimmy. So let me just get to it. I, I think uh, in Jimmy's case, with what he kind of endured in the bubble, I do think he could have used a longer break. And I know that, you know, he, he's gone with the program, you know, as his agent said, Bernie Lee on our podcast, it was kind of like, you know, Bernie was explaining to him the situation like, yeah, you guys are going to be back, you know, very soon. And Jimmy was, there was like silence on the line. And then Jimmy was like, all right, have him send me some basketballs. And it was like, all right, get started. But I, I think Jimmy, not just from a, a, a physical health standpoint, but also from an emotional health standpoint, Jimmy's a guy who has a lot of interest off the court. He likes to travel. He likes to go overseas. Obviously that wasn't going to happen a lot during COVID, but you know, he wants to be a singer. There's a whole bunch of other things Jimmy likes to do. I think Jimmy could have used more of a break. I think now, at least even though he wants to play this situation with what he, you know, his absence due to the whole COVID stuff, I think actually could be beneficial to the heat. So I'm kind of all over the place with both of them. I would say it kind of evens out, Eric, and I say it's neutral value. Okay. And uh, one last one. The infamous South Beach home court advantage uh, in this age of COVID, uh, is that now a, is that, uh, now a positive, <laughs> negative, or neutral? Well, I think that changed a little bit now that they've got this new thing where you basically you know can't go anywhere. <laughs> but the NBA with the new restrictions that they put in a week ago, you can't go anywhere but pretty much the hotel or your house, uh, and then that's it to the arena and to, to practices. I think in some ways it does eliminate the South Beach home court. Uh, I think that the Heat have benefited for many years from what we used to call the Iverson flu, where Allen never made it to a shoot around because he was always out till five in the morning. And of course he's not the only one. So I think in some cases it is, I think it, it's, it's, it's negative value to the heat that they don't have this particular home court advantage. Um, with that being said, the heat have a lot of single guys. And so maybe some of the issues on the road last year might've been a result, result of that. Uh, so, <laughs> I, so I, I would say overall, Eric, yeah, I you want to name any names. I know, but I mean, there's not a lot of married guys on this team. I mean, just, I mean, just take a look at it. I've covered teams with a lot of married guys. That's a little different. I mean, it's, it's not as much different as it should be, but it's a little bit different. I, I will just say that I think right now, not having the South beach home court advantage because you don't have kind of the nightlife operating at the same uh, level. And you also have the NBA putting on these restrictions. I think it's actually negative value to the heat overall. So basically all of these things, none of these are really positive for the Heat. Uh, the the Harden off the tables, negative for the Heat in terms of the Beal sweepstakes. Dragic and Butler, I would say overall it's neutral. There's some positive and some negative. I think for Jimmy overall, it's probably been a negative. And then uh, and then South Beach home court, uh, I obviously not existing quite like it did, is a negative. All right, where can they find you, Eric? Uh, they could call me directly or text me directly at 305-967-9089 or at five reasons realtor.com you want to tell them that uh 
just they do, it's not the number you just spell it out f-i-v-e mm-hmm. reasonsrealtor.com feel free to contact me you can even just talk heat if you want yeah, absolutely. You can talk heat or uh, obviously uh, you want to buy or sell. That, this is the place to do it. Thanks, Eric. We appreciate it. We'll do it again next week. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network.